Hey, folks, we got some really great episodes and videos coming up for you here as part of this pod venture. Honestly, some of my personal favorite content we have ever produced. Really great stuff. Before we do that, there's a couple disclaimers. First off, just a little one we'll throw out. This has been done over the course of 2020, which, as we know, there's been shutdowns all over the place. It feels like an eternity. If you hear anything that's uh, somewhat repetitive over the course of these episodes or you see any odd inconsistencies, it's just because there was so much of a gap between each of the videos and podcasts that we shot. So keep that in mind. Now, the other thing is, of course, being that we're going to be discussing the topics of self-defense, home defense, other things of that nature, we're talking about some pretty serious stuff that if you find yourself, which we hope you never do, in the worst-case scenario, it can have some pretty big legal or emotional ramifications and other consequences, depending on how you act and what you do. Now, we are all in different areas with different laws, and also we are not, Mark and I, nor anybody at the Vortex Edge Academy here that we have, that we trained at, uh, professional lawyers. So don't take anything said in these podcasts or videos as 100% factual law. It will vary in our own interpretations of laws and things like that, and the way we word them may not be perfect. So do not take them as instructions for how to handle a situation you may find yourself in. These episodes were created with the intention of giving our listeners great food for thought and a prepared mindset to be ready for anything, not to be legal advice or material to reference in any sort of legal situation. Should you wish to practice some of the things we've done here, please exercise extreme caution, as always, with firearms or physical training, and we highly suggest seeking professional training in a professional facility like Vortex Edge right here at our facility in Barneville, Wisconsin. And surely there's going to be more news on just what that is and how to sign up for things like that coming in due time. So now that i got to kind of the uh, cover our own you-know-what out of the way, Enjoy the videos and podcasts here. Let us know what you think in the comments on the YouTube videos or on Instagram. Thanks, everybody. Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. Welcome, everybody, to another pod venture. Very excited about this one. Across the table from Mark and I is Pete and Adrian, and they are from Vortex Edge. And depending on the timing of this release, you may or may not have heard of Edge, Vortex Edge yet. You, If you haven't yet, you probably will fairly soon. Uh, anyway, but that is the training outfit or uh, a thing within Vortex here down at the range. And you guys... Pretty stoked about that getting started up, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yep, kind of a dream come true, uh, yeah. being able to have an opportunity, a facility like we got here, and just run uh, training for people. Yeah. yeah, and all manners of different kinds of firearms training. We're going to be doing stuff. I mean, you guys have been working, too, with some of the local LE guys, some some mill guys, and then also just private citizens who want to come and learn how to better you know, handle and control their firearms, whether that be carbine, pistol, any number of things. And uh, there's going to be some stuff there, I think, for some hunters, too. Hunters will get some enjoyment out yeah, of uh, yeah. some of these classes that will be available. Definitely. Should yep. be pretty sweet. Mark and I actually got the chance to take part in sort of one of your guys' courses here, and that's what we're going to talk a lot about. And this whole pod venture, the premise behind it is that many of our podcasts, obviously we've talked a lot about shooting, we've talked a lot about hunting, too. But one thing that people sort of either talk about or it's just 
kind of assumed is that part of the reason that we own firearms in America, I know, is, is one big thing we talk about with the Second Amendment is that they are for recreational use and also our own protection, too. Self-defense, home defense, these are topics you hear talked about quite a lot. Obviously, when you guys are dealing with male LE guys, they're doing a lot of combat training and stuff like that, and, and their own self-defense, too, um, in defense of others. And we kind of wanted to do some podcasts directly talking about those topics. And uh, so those topics, I don't want to say they're not talked about enough, but a lot of times people think, you know, maybe, oh, I got the gun, I got the ammo, I got the optic on top. Of course, you got to get the optic on top. (laughs) I'm good, right? But as we talked with you guys, I know as Mark and I trained with you guys, shot, I was going to say, Shot ourselves. We didn't shoot ourselves, but <laughs> us ourselves Thank we God. shot firearms with you pistols. guys. Yes. And then we also partook in just sort of a classroom setting with you guys. I know I thought personally, I realized to myself, this is a little bit more complex than maybe your average Joe who goes out, just kind of buys a pistol, maybe gets their concealed carry permit online or something. Maybe that they would really know goes into everything. So this particular segment here is primarily around pistols, which will then naturally probably dovetail a bit into concealed carry stuff. And we have a number of different episodes lined up to come after this. But we felt pistols are probably the best place to start. Would you guys say? That's kind of what yeah. we talked about in the I class, so. right? Yep. Definitely. And why do you guys feel pistols are, when you're talking about marksmanship, understanding how to control a firearm, the self-defense aspect of it, why is pistols kind of the best place to start? Honestly, because it's the hardest to shoot. It's the hardest to learn. You don't have all the advantages with a pistol that you do with a rifle. You don't have the stock. Typically, a rifle will have a lighter trigger pull weight compared to the weight of the rifle. So it's just inherently easier to shoot. I find a lot of people can start with a rifle. They'll, they'll learn how to shoot pretty easily. It, it doesn't take them long to figure it out. And most people with a pistol, it takes them a lot longer. It's a little more difficult to learn. But... If you learn how to shoot with a pistol, that will carry over into a rifle. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. I'd also add that I think for the most part, uh, most people I know who are looking at purchasing their first gun, specifically for home defense or concealed carry, I mean, it's usually a pistol. Right. So. Right, yeah. Right. It makes sense. Like, obviously, there's a lot of advantages to the pistol. Size, you know, you're able to keep it on your person a little bit more, like you said, concealed, a little bit more difficult to conceal a an yep. AR or the, similar type firearm. The best firearm to have in a situation where you may need one is the one that you have, right? Yeah. You know, I know everybody always says the joke, like the only reason for a pistol is to fight your way back to the to the rifle, but that's not always practical. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Especially in the movie theater. I, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to walk, you know, around the uh, wherever it is that I would otherwise be concealed carrying with a. AR-15. I, I, I mean, as, as much as we actually talked a little bit about this, and this sure. is one of the topics, you know, the yep. open carry thing. Yep. We're not saying that we're against open carrying. No. That is, as a right, that is a right that we should have. Yep. I know one thing you guys mentioned, though, and we'll, we'll get into this. This is almost jumping a little I bit know, ahead. I <laughs> getting so far ahead, but we talked about the element of surprise. Yeah, the element of surprise. I mean, why not just go into that a little bit right sure. now? You know, the yep. uh, concealed carry versus open carry thing. Well, it's like... I heard it put best this way. I support the right. Um, I don't like the practice. Because right. if, you're, if you're serious about your own safety, your own defense, yourself and your family, not advertising to the world that you're carrying a gun, 
is pretty important to your to your preparation to uh, to being able to uh, prevail in in a situation like that. So yeah, I think it's one of those things. This is America. Like we absolutely we've got a great Second Amendment right here. I think again something people should be able to do, but I think people should think long and hard before they just strap on a gun and go walking into Walmart. There's countless, countless, countless stories and articles you can find on the internet about people who were open carrying and had guns stolen from them, who were, you know, ambushed, who were shot by their own gun. I mean, it happens to law enforcement officers every Mm -hmm. single year. So I got to imagine too, in a case where maybe somebody else starts shooting, pulls out a gun or whatever, all of a sudden nobody knows what's going on. Usually it's pretty chaotic. Somebody might look over and be like, that's the bad guy. Because they can see the gun. Possible, know? possible. I uh, personally, and I know this will probably, you know, some people probably not like me saying this, but you know, I like that element of surprise for serious self-defense. I man, keep it concealed. Yeah. You know, you take every advantage you can get. Six like, minutes in, and we're already saying stuff that's controversial. Might be upset with. I like having <laughs> options. Goes. I like having options. You might be in a situation that maybe the right answer is to not do anything, and you can you can do that yep. with a with a concealed pistol. Sometimes when when you have one just on your hip, something's going down, and you might be thrust into the middle of it. Mm-hmm. So I I like having options. Yeah, that's a fair point. Mark, you put it really well when you were discussing earlier when we were talking about doing this pod venture when we yep. had gotten into the class. You know, yep. you wanted to make if you carried a pistol, make it an asset and not a liability. Yeah, I mean, that's my, I mean, and that's why up until this date, well, even I guess still today, right? Like, I, I guess I'm losing the element surprise. Surprise! I don't have a pistol on me every day. Uh, but, but again, like you said, I want to make sure it's an asset, not a liability. Uh, I want to make sure that I, I, I understand how to use that firearm, uh, in a, in a very, uh, practical and proper manner and also everything about it yeah absolutely okay so back back into a little bit like so we kind of jumped a little bit ahead there we'll go, we'll go back somewhat but you were talking about one thing and i i wanted to hit on this even a little bit more learning to control a pistol so th- let's just go back to just the fundamentals of shooting a pistol again a thing that i think a lot of people just sort of bypass you know some people Maybe they rely on or they think they're going to rely on the adrenaline rush, you know? Oh, I'm in the situation. I'll know what to do. My body will figure out what to do. I know that when I was personally shooting pistol with you guys on the range in that class, I realized that I have a lot of shortcomings as far as mechanics, brain to hands to eyes, all the way that those things and the nervous system all lines up and perceives everything and how it's working, just the way that my you know finger pulls on the trigger. There's there's a ton that goes into this, and to assume, I think, I know for me at least, for sure, to assume that I would just know what to do or be able to handle it in that situation without ever having some practice, I just don't think that's doable. There's so many things going on simultaneously. Yeah, yeah. It's- and... And that's where, like you guys said, you know, and you, and you learn the pistol really well. It's going to translate over, over to rifle because a lot of the yeah. a lot of the things are very similar. You're still focusing on your trigger pull. I mean, what are the biggest things you guys preach when you're talking to people about first learning to properly shoot a pistol? Just shooting it straight. Just, I mean, seriously, <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. and it it seems really obvious, but guys want to start doing the cool stuff. You know, they want to do mag changes and they want to shoot multiple rounds. And I, I think you just need to start shooting straight, you know, 10 yards at a reasonably sized target and just, just learn how to control the pistol, learn how to shoot it straight. Well, and there's so much that goes into just that, 
Mm-hmm. Like, there, I mean, it's like, yeah, that's a starting point. But, you know, when we were, when we were shooting the other day, I mean, it's, there's so many fundamentals as far as your grip and then uh, just uh, your grip, your stance. I mean, there's, I mean, maybe go into some of those like things like that maybe get overlooked or taken for granted. You know, a person, you know, gets a pistol, say, hey, I'm going to take it out. And yeah, it goes bang and I can hit the target, you know, in general. Well, I, honestly, I think shooting straight, I mean, that's not a starting point. That's everything. Accuracy is everything. Right. All, everything else is is just icing on the cake. I shouldn't have said a starting point. The foundation. Right, right. But I mean, when the more advanced you get, the smaller your targets get. You know, and 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 the less time you get. Like advanced shooting is just shooting at smaller targets at longer distances with less time. That's it. It's the same thing you guys started. You did on the first day, and I think sometimes people overlook that. They wanna they wanna do the flashy stuff. You know, they wanna do the stuff that they might see on Instagram, but when it comes down for real, the ability to place rounds where they need to be in a stressful situation, that will typically solve problems a lot quicker than anything else flashy. Like I said, I, I just I think it's so often overlooked. Um, dealing with law enforcement officers, you know, maybe their accuracy standards were never that high to begin with. Um, pretty much anybody new to pistols um, or, or people who have been shooting for a while you know, I know it's real common in our classes. You know, we have those small targets, so we put up those B8 bullseyes at 10 yards, and we'll have guys that have been shooting the same gun for years and not realize that it hits low or high. You know, they've never never thought about actually zeroing their pistol just because they've never been asked to do that kind of shooting before. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I didn't, I didn't mean to correct you there, but I, I, I think accuracy is, that is everything, and everything else is just... You know, it's the hardest thing to learn. It's sometimes the least fun. It's like eating your vegetables. You know, you know it's important, okay, but you got to do it every day. Yeah. I compare it to other sports. I mean, when you're learning a new sport or you're a kid learning a sport, there's fundamentals of whatever sport you're playing, right? So you practice those, you get good at those, but you're not just going to jump into the game right away and expect to be able to, you know, perform at a high level. Uh, mm-hmm. You have to have the fundamental skills down. So when you're in the game, you can think about who do I pass the ball to? What type of player are we running? Things like that. And shooting a pistol or any firearm for that matter in a defensive type of situation is the same way. You have to, you have to have the, uh, all of the stuff you were talking about, right? Our fundamentals of marksmanship, stance, grip, sight alignment, sight picture, trigger pull, um, follow through, all that stuff you have to have down at a subconscious level. Mm-hmm. Right, and then your weapon manipulations too. Not unconscious Not level, unconscious. which I said. In yeah, class. <laughs> really good if you can do it unconsciously. Yeah, that's when you know that's, you really got it down. Yeah. But yeah, you have to be able to do all that stuff without thinking about it, because you mm-hmm. have to think like, okay, am I legally allowed to shoot this guy? Should I be shooting this guy? Where's my cover? Where's my exits? Where's my family? Where's, Where's my family? Yeah. You know, things like that. So. Yeah. You got to be focused on that stuff. You can't be thinking about, okay, now I need to line up my sight. Now I need to pull my trigger without disturbing those sights. All that has to be automatic. I love the sports reference you made because in many ways, you know, well, there is, there are the shooting sports, right? And then this one, it's kind of in the self-defense realm. I don't know if I'd call it a sport, but it's a physical action that requires a lot of dexterity and brain power at the same time to be thinking a lot. And it, it reminds me of, you know, you look back at some of the videos of Michael Jordan or some of the guys like that. They still ended practice every day just shooting free throws or jump shots, just straight up, not fadeaways, not one-on-one trying to do crazy stuff, NBA street ball, just jumpers and free throws. And that's what I felt like we were doing a lot when we first stepped up in the class. I was kidding around because we were shooting some video of it. I was kidding around that I was expecting a lot more barrel rolls and tactical stuff <laughs> you know, that you see on, on Instagram. But the first thing we did was at 10 yards, we just 
shot 10 shots. We weren't doing it fast. There wasn't there yep. wasn't any kind of time limit. It was just shoot 10 shots as accurately as you possibly can. And that, even that showed a lot, you know? We started to figure out... I started noticing that I was shooting low left, which implied that I had kind of a, a pre-ignition flinch that was going on. You know, we, we discussed it's not even necessarily that you're afraid of the gun in those cases. It could just be that you're seeing the sights and you just want it to go off, you know, right now. And then you kind of flinch a little bit or whatever. But you start finding out a lot of these things. Or or if your sights aren't quite aligned, you might see that. And uh, it isn't the most exciting thing ever. But just practicing that. And when we did that, it kind of took over the course of the whole day. But towards the end of the day, we started doing some stuff that was a little bit quicker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you get that foundation early. Yeah. Like if we started just shooting speed, it, you wouldn't have the same effects. Like I'm, I'm serious at the highest levels of shooting, like the class we did, you know, that ball and dummy drill we did, like guys would do that every morning before they started mm-hmm. the class. Explain that one because that was a really cool drill. I like that so, one. So most people, when they shoot a handgun, well, let me go back. So, so the key to shooting a handgun is just, and I've, I've said this before, just you put your either your dot or your sights where they need to be, and you just press the trigger without disturbing the gun, and you'll get a hit every time. Most people will somehow influence that handgun before it goes off. Okay, mm-hmm. Typically, it's, it's low left or whatever, but if people are missing, it's typically because they're doing something to the handgun. So we, we do a drill, and man, I, I got this from some military guys Boy, 10 years ago, uh, Brian Searcy, who used to work for Tiger Swan, I got this from him. But the, the drill's been around forever, and it's, it's just a ball and dummy drill. You partner up with a guy, he basically loads your handgun for you. You may or may not have a round in that chamber, okay? And then, you know, you, you, you go ahead and shoot the pistol, and, you know, if there's a round in there, hopefully it goes where it needs to be. If there's not, you kind of watch what your reaction is after that shot's fired. And that's kind of like a really true assessment of what you're doing as the trigger is being pulled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're not watching on YouTube, uh, Pete kind of like, I guess you dropped the gun forward. Now, if I recall correctly, though, that, again, like you like you said earlier, Jim, that may not be a, uh, a response to being scared or flinch. That could be actually you're anticipating, you know, I guess the recoil right. of that firearm. and, and The gun's pushing into you. Right. You want to push back. Right. And like I've said before, it, it doesn't necessarily mean you're doing the wrong thing. You're just you're doing the right thing. You're just doing it at the wrong time. Yes. Okay? I like to break it down. There's a pre-ignition push, which is bad. That's typically flinching. There's also a post-ignition push. Right. And that's called recoil control. So we just we have to figure out what, what you're doing. Okay. And and mm-hmm. the ball and dummy drill is a nice place to start because you start seeing some things. Yep. You know, happening like when you fire the gun. Typically, it's like this, or maybe it's like that. Mm-hmm. But you're you're influencing the orientation of that handgun as it goes off. And a pistol, I mean, it's such it's so easy to provide input. I guess you know, correct and incorrect. It's really, you know, and we're talking about uh, when we're just getting started here and just like working on shooting the pistol accurately and, and breaking it down, you know, into working on that thing into a, I guess, you know, a, a silo or, or, or breaking it away from maybe some other things that are going on there that you could do like after you, you know, learn how to do that well. But it was awesome to see you guys be able to pick apart our shooting, you know, with the ball and dummy drill or even just, you know, during, you know, just live round practice, be like, okay, you know, like take five shots and you're like, okay, Mark, we'll Let's look at those, and like now let's look at your grip because I can see you're doing this. And it wasn't visually, right? 
or even by feel, it's not like some sort of monumental change. It's not like I wasn't holding the gun and now I'm holding the gun. It's like, nope, you know, kind of press in this way. Light years of difference, though. Right. Like grip. small changes, big differences. I grip. guess that's one thing mm-hmm. I know. Grip is incredibly important. I mean, to independently move your finger without moving your other fingers, that's not a natural thing to do. And that's right. like one of the biggest hurdles you have. If I have this handgun here, you know, and I'm just pressing the trigger, that's no problem. But you just start moving those other fingers. I mean, you can kind of look at the orientation of the pistol, what happens there. And right. that's not a natural thing to do. Mm-hmm. Typically, I have people grip a little harder than they're used to. It's, it's hard to flinch if you're already firmly gripping on something. What typically happens, people aren't holding on to the handgun tight enough. As they're pulling the trigger, okay, now they start to grab as the gun goes off. Yeah. So grip right. is extremely important, especially if you're, you're your support hand. Um, most people just, this isn't a natural thing to do. Right. Most no. people who've never hold, held a pistol won't do this. Right. You know? and, and having more emphasis on your support hand, really getting the grip up and high, you know, holding on to it firm. I know a lot of instructors like to say handshake grip. But honestly, that's very subjective nowadays, you know? Like, you, you shake someone's hand, I mean, you might get that. Right. The old, limp fish. The old right. dead, yeah, limp noodle. Right. No, so. and I'll say, so, going back to probably some basic terminology that you guys just know and, and gloss over and talk about. So, we're talking about trigger pull versus trigger press and even support hands. So, when I was gripping the pistol, like, I felt like I had a pretty good grip on it. And I don't, I don't know what uh, Pete's handshake is like, but when he essentially was like, no, Mark, like this, it was like, no, hold it like a vice grip. Oh, yeah. When I got done at the end of the day, I remember thinking to myself, like, all my, uh, all my contact points on the gun mm-hmm. were sore at the end of the day. But holding on to this thing, I mean, you're holding on to, I can't imagine it would be like with a metal gun. But all these little contact points, you're oh, yeah. pressing into the gun so hard. Yeah, I was sore. My hand hurt. <laughs> that, grip strength is extremely important. I mean, um, you know, I don't know if you've ever shook like Jerry Mitchell's hands or, or someone no. like that. Like the you, dude's got an got iron some grip, serious right. grip. And you know, we, we we tell people all the time. Some of the best shooters we know, our friends, are guys who work with their hands. Car yep. mechanics, yep. auto body. We have a friend who's an auto body guy. Man, he's just got really strong. Grip and that's you can imp- control that pistol. It, it, you don't have to wrench the the hell out of the gun, but it's it's important to have grip strength. I think. Yep. Well, I think the more grip strength that you develop over time, like right now, if I were to go in and like strain at this thing, I might be able to apply the same amount of power to the gun that a Jerry Minchlick, for example, is applying when he's comfortably right, holding sure. the pistol. So, so it's not that everybody always needs to try and achieve this level of, I'm yeah. wrenching as hard as I can. It's just that the stronger you get, the less effort it takes to still apply the same exactly. amount of power. Yep. And I think that's, that's kind of an important thing. But yeah, the uh, grip is indeed very important. The one thing I found interesting was when you guys were talking about just concentrating, everybody always says, you know, front sight, front sight, front sight, you hear that time and time again. And it is important to concentrate on your front sight. Of course, when you're using a red dot, it makes it even easier because there's just a red dot to concentrate on. And your target, actually, do you just concentrate on the target and just put the red dot on over where you're concentrating? Yep. yep. Okay. Easier, e- even easier still. The one thing I found interesting was, Mark, indeed, what you're saying is correct. A little bit of input can go a long way downrange on the target. But then where your head is placed or something along those lines, it, it was strange how the way that the irons looked or appeared in front of you didn't end up making as big of a difference. Can you go and explain it? How, how did that work? Because there was a period of time where you told us to 
move her head way over to the left so that the front post is way over to the left part of that that rear notch, you know, and then take a couple of shots. And you take five shots, and you would see a bit of a difference downrange on the target, but it wasn't nearly as dramatic as you would have thought it would have been. So one of the first steps I have when when students, all right, we've we've got the accuracy component down, and now we need to start we need to start shooting a little faster. Uh, one of the biggest hurdles to cross is realizing that your sights don't have to be perfectly aligned, depending on the distance you're shooting at. So like at 10 yards, we do that sight misalignment drill. You know, we have, have you guys misalign your sights perfectly because we've been drilled, okay, front sight, rear sight, equal height, equal light, all the time, every time, you know, guys are drilled that. Um, and it's kind of like that next hurdle to realize that you don't need perfect sight alignment to make semi-accurate hits, all right? That's performance shooting. When you start shooting fast, you don't have to wait for the sights to become perfectly aligned again. And, and I kind of have a saying, I don't, I don't like to sacrifice a perfect trigger press over a perfect sight alignment. I, I'm, you know, when it comes to sight alignment, perfect is the enemy of good enough, okay? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just need to accept good enough. As long as you're doing everything right, you will get a hit. And it, it, that drill's nice because it kind of shows people, wow, I... Where my sights really are isn't as important as I thought it was. I think a lot of times um, misses on targets are misdiagnosed by, for I'd say two things, um, you know, sight misalignment and the other thing I hear all the time is jerking the trigger, right? Yeah. Usually the misses that we see on our targets are not caused by those things. Hmm. Especially with the red dots, when you transition over to a red dot on your pistol, find that there's definitely a tendency of people to start over-aiming. They're looking for that perfect sight picture like Pete was talking about, right? And then the red dot, your sight wobbles a little more apparent. So now you're trying to make it really perfect, and you're going, okay, i got to make it go off right when it's in the center right now. Right now. And then you throw the rounds low, you know, left, right-handed shooter, pre-ignition push, or whatever, or you're, you know, starting to change your grip pressure. So, yeah, basically you you need to see your sights good enough to make the hit on the type of target that you're shooting at. Mm -hmm. And beyond that... You know, especially when you're when you're learning and things like that. I think that trigger press and consistent grip pressure, that's really where you make your money. Those are the things you need to be focusing on. And and with experience you'll learn, okay, how far away can I make a hit with my sights misaligned? And that's something you just learn through experience. Because mm-hmm. you're you wouldn't get away with that stuff at five yards that you wouldn't get away with it at twenty five yards. Yeah. You, you would definitely be throwing rounds. But that's you know, that comes with experience. The thing I love, too, about a lot of the drills that we were doing at the range there was, yes, we were in a nice tactical, I can't remember what you call it, you know, but it's this really versatile range where you can shoot from 50 yards all the way up mm. to point blank. You know, yes, you see some of these things online where people are running all over the place, doing barrel rolls, whatnot, and uh, shooting on these crazy setup ranges. But the drills that we were doing, you could do at any range, pretty much. All we had was... 10, even if you have 15 yards, uh, once people got a little bit more comfortable, we moved a couple of these ones back to 15 yards. But you could do it at any range. You don't have to be running around all over the place. You can be standing still, just working on the fundamentals. You don't even have to necessarily be, necessarily be doing rapid fire stuff. I know some ranges don't like rapid fire. There's a few drills that we did where we were spacing out the shots I felt like, well, maybe when we got faster, you know, some ranges mm-hmm. might poo-hoo that. But sure. some of the slower ones, just where we were shooting more than one shot or even more than two. I know you had a comment about how not many people ever shoot more than two shots, it seems. But a lot of these drills were very doable for just the average person at yeah. the regular range. Yeah. I mean, if I, if I only had 
10 rounds a day to practice, I'd probably put up a B8 bullseye, go back to 25 yards, and just work on shooting accurately over and over mm-hmm. again. You mm-hmm. know, if I really had limited time, limited ammo, a range, you know, like that, you know, maybe next day I'd switch it up, do it strong hand only or weak hand only. But just hammer the fundamentals over and over and over again. You really have to get those down. Uh, if you guys probably noticed, as we progressed throughout the day, we started throwing more stuff at you. We expected oh, yeah. you to, we gave you a bigger target. And now mm-hmm. we said, okay, now you're going to draw and fire. Now you're going to shoot multiple rounds. Now you're going to reload, whatever. Yeah. Um, but you probably noticed accuracy started to decline, even though we were given a bigger target. And sometimes more time. And sometimes more time, yeah. Because especially when you're trying to master, you're trying to uh, ingrain or build a skill, right? We start throwing more and more stuff at you. You can't, the human brain can't multitask. You can Mm -hmm. only focus on one thing at once. You can switch between a couple things, but now you're thinking, okay, well, we're doing, we're doing reload. So I have to get my reload right. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden your brain can't switch quick enough to think about, okay, now I have to find my front sight and I have to make a good trigger press and I have to keep my grip good all at the same time. Yeah. So that's why, again, mastering those fundamentals is so important because whatever your uh, field may be, whether it's competition shooting or, again, you know, self-defense, that stuff has to be automatic. You can't mm-hmm. think about that stuff anymore. Right. I was going to say, I mean, that, that was just a really, really good, you know, exercise or experience to have just because, like you said, you get into a, that real scenario. Now stuff, number one, it's real. There are consequences, whether you decide to act or not act. And then along with that, just, you know, you've got a, a whole host of other variables that are coming into play that you have to, you know, anticipate, predict, whatever, what have you. But I noticed that one thing I noticed throughout the day is once I just probably very uh, elementary and, and probably the day felt slow to you guys. But I know at least for myself, I have not admittedly not shot a lot of pistol. Like I said before the class, I've shot pistols enough to, to know they go bang and, and that's about it. But just when I'd start to feel a little comfortable, we're on to the next thing. I was, I was constantly <laughs> on the edge of my comfort zone throughout the day. It's like, oh, you're starting to get that. Well, now we're going to roll this in and now we're going to roll this in. And I just, it really yeah, did. Okay. Hot shot. Yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> Exemplify kind of what you're talking about there of, of, you know, having all those multiple things come into play and being, and needing to be able to count for them, you know, when they happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's something I think we run into. We get the question every now and then like, oh, this is a pistol one class. Well, I've been shooting pistol for 10 years. Can I just do your advanced class, you know, or your pistol two class or whatever? And every time I've let yeah. somebody into a, a second day of a pistol <laughs> class always without going it. through our first day, I've always regretted it. I've always regretted it. I think well, you said it, even sometimes the newer shooters are actually the easier ones to teach the right way. Sometimes, sometimes if you come in like you don't, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. The people are apt. They don't have all those bad habits. Mm-hmm. They will listen a little harder. You know, sometimes guys who think they have a lot of experience will actually have a lot of habits that they just can't break. And sometimes they're a little harder to get to. No, but uh, I, I think that's a big problem is getting people into our one-day pistol class. I think people, oh, it's too basic. It's too, it's not. It's really, no. it really isn't. Mm-hmm. It really isn't. So, but Yeah, that, I, I enjoyed the hell out of it, even though, even though there was a lack of barrel rolls. <laughs> that's day two. That's right. That's, exactly. that's day two. Exactly. That's day two. That's no, day but two. It, it was. It was really good. And, and I it definitely exposed a lot of things. And you know what they say, too, is when you're doing anything and you're trying to get better at something, if you're always doing it to the point where you're accomplishing, you know, doing really well, if you're just always doing something to the point you're doing really well and you're never screwing up, 
you're probably not getting any better at it. You're probably just kind of hanging out at whatever level you're at. And uh, doing, like in that class that we were doing, where you would start getting comfortable, but then it'd be like, all right, let's add this in. Okay, now I'm screwing up. That means you're getting better if you're screwing up because now your brain is learning things. It's like educating deer, you know? Uh, (laughs) It's like, oh, I screwed that up, but I at least made it out alive, so I just won't do that again. You know, when you're doing it in training, you make it out alive when you screw up. And so, well, we have a tendency, we have a tendency in firearms training, or I'd say probably anything people do, we like to practice what we're good at, right? It makes us feel good. Mm -hmm. So, you see a lot of guys, they go fire up their phone on Instagram and they, you know, shoot some drills up close. Or, I would see it all the time when I worked full time law enforcement and I, I ran our range there. We'd have open range days. People would come in and they would shoot all their rounds from five or seven yards. They do some fast draws, shoot quick. Yep, they all look good up yep. there. I'm good at making noise at five yards. Yeah, I'll do that. But are you really, you know, are you really getting better at anything? Probably mm-hmm. not. You have to practice the stuff you're not good at. I like that. And transitioning now a little bit too into the concealed carry self defense kind of side of things. There's a reason why, even just for this first 30 minutes here, we've been talking so much about the accuracy side of things, understanding how to control your pistol, understanding how your pistol shoots, understanding. I learned, too, the other thing is, while we were doing all the shooting, I learned that I kind of want to switch out my trigger. You know, I had some aftermarket trigger in there, and I mm-hmm. actually f- ended up finding out I like the regular Glock trigger that it comes with better. Yep. I wouldn't have known that. You know, I, I saw really good reviews on it. You know, everybody said, oh, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, whatever. Just happens to be that I personally don't really like it that much. So if I listened to everybody on the internet, I probably would have still had it in my pistol. But now through real experience, I know. Anyway, but stuff like that can happen. So you learn these things. And then now as you transition over into the side of, uh, you know, the self-defense concealed carry kind of thing, you can be just sort of a better equipped person. It should something, a, a scenario where you need to use your pistol ever arise. What do you guys think, you know, so that kind of goes into a little bit of mindset of concealed carry self-defense. I know after we took this course with you guys, the classroom and the in-person thing, I did realize I need a ton more personal practice with a pistol, just actually shooting it, building up accuracy and stuff like that, and and the muscle memory, the subconscious uh, Mm -hmm. use of the pistol. (laughs) Um, But I did come out feeling more confident and as though many of the questions that I've had surrounding what the heck is going to happen even if something like that goes down, you know, I did come out feeling a little bit more confident. But going into the mindset of things, in the classroom section, Adrian, you were talking about you got to understand why it is that you're even considering concealed carrying. Sure. Right. What's yep. your mission? What's is your the way, What's your objective? Yeah, is the way that you worded it. And... You know, what? what's your thoughts on that? Is it to go out and be vigilante Batman everywhere? Is it to try and get in a fight with somebody? Is it to just be like, oh, well, now if anybody ever comes at me, I'm ready. I'm strapped, bro. Like, bring it. Or, you know, yeah. what What reason is it? Well, I mean, uh, I think it's going to differ for different people depending what your what your walk of life is. Yeah. Um, but whatever it is, I think it's really important that you think about it hard and you have it figured out before you step out the door. Because if you don't, you can potentially find yourself in a situation where uh, we start getting, uh, you know, what we'd call mission creep, right? If I step out and I say, you know what, the world is a dangerous place. It can be dangerous, right? I'm going to carry a pistol to protect myself, my family, make sure I go home safe to my family at the end of the day. And that's my, that's my objective, okay? And now all of a sudden, you're in a situation where, 
okay, well, am I going to intervene in, you know, whatever's going on over here? A domestic? A domestic, you know, a, a guy and a woman are arguing and fighting. Maybe it's physical, maybe it's not. And I'm going to go step in and intervene there. Well, if my objective was to make sure that my family and I get home safe at the end of the day, does going and interjecting myself in someone else's business, does that help me accomplish my mission? I would argue maybe in that case it may actually detract from your mission or, or make, mm-hmm. uh, make it less likely that you're going to accomplish your objective. Now, I'm not saying that people shouldn't help each other out. Right. right. I mean, I, I totally get it. Again, law enforcement for 14 years, I took an oath to go out and help protect other people. You know, I put other people's lives um, at a higher priority than mine by the nature of my work. I had to. But, but people have to weigh that out. They really have to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's a lot of considerations you have to, have to think yeah. about. It's not just about, you know, being a good person and wanting to help other people. I get it. But, you know, some of those situations, you don't know what you're walking into necessarily. Yeah. So you, you well, just yeah. have to be really careful. To your point, I mean, if you got your kid with you and your kid's kind of following you around holding your hand, are you going to drag your kid over there to the brawl in the yeah. Walmart parking lot to then try and break it up? That's where you know yep. no the safety of my family and my and children are the priority there exactly Absolutely. so you you, you make sure they're out of there they're safe or whatever if maybe you know whatever you're by yourself and it's broad daylight and there's something big going on over there that seems like a really pressing matter or whatever th- that there may be a situation sure. where you yep. do feel like okay my family's not even here they're safe somewhere else yeah. you know and. This seems really like, you know, pressing. An active shooter or something like that. I totally understand, and, and I mean, I get it. Like a good guy with a gun can save a lot of lives there. So I, I, I totally get that one. You know, so I understand why people want to act in that, and if that's the decision that they decide to make, hey, totally understand it, and I support it. But just have to be careful. You have to think about that stuff yeah. ahead of time because you don't want to get stuck in that situation where things are popping off, and now you're second guessing in your mind, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Like you should have that decision made up. Like, is this something that I'm carrying a gun for? Is this why I do this? Okay. The Fine. discussion I have yeah. with people, I don't like people that pick and choose when they carry a handgun. I'm like, carry a handgun wherever you legally can. Just do it all the time. Because if you start picking and choosing, if you're like, well, I'm going to this place, I better bring my gun with me. If you're making that conscious effort, maybe you need to sit back and like, maybe I shouldn't be going to that place. If I think <laughs> I need the gun, I carry, I carry my handgun everywhere I legally can. Yep. It's just always on me. But if I have to make a conscious decision, well, I better bring the handgun because I'm going here. Maybe you shouldn't be going there. That's a, yeah, that's it's, an absolute. It's kind of point. a good uh, measuring stick in a way. Right, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Right. And it's it's a good measuring stick. Another phrase you mentioned: an armed society is a polite society. Sure. It's a good measuring stick for just sort of how temperamental sometimes you need to get about certain yeah. things. Yeah. You know? There's um, I'm trying to think. Uh, there's a great book that I recommend people read. It's called Violence of Mind by of of Arg Freeborn, and he he talks a little bit about this in the book. But the way, and I and I paraphrase, but he kind of says like. Are you willing to, you know, are you willing to get into a gunfight or kill someone over over a parking space? And most people are like, heck no, of course not, right? I wouldn't do that. Okay. Well, when someone steals your parking space at Walmart and you walk up to them and you're like, hey, you prick, and you start a verbal <laughs> argument, right, over something stupid like that, well, now if this person escalates, how do you know that person's not willing to kill you over a parking space? That person escalates, you know, now it's a... a a verbal confrontation, maybe it escalates to a physical confrontation, and pretty soon it's a gunfight. So you really have to think at those early levels. You know, road rage is another perfect example. Like, if you're carrying a gun, 
you really need to tune it down. Like somebody cuts you off, who cares? Let it go. Mm. Are you willing to kill someone over that? Because that's how it can escalate. You some know? people, there's some crazy people out some there. Some crazy people might be willing to kill you. Exactly over that. Exactly. You and pull over, they come out of their gun or yeah, out of their car, be, waving a gun. Yeah, and it doesn't mean it might not be legally justified. But man, it's going to be a heck of a lot harder to defend in court um, if you've contributed. You took steps to contribute toward that escalation. Mm. And two, do you want to live with that? That because you were a hothead, oh my now, gosh, somebody yeah. got shot. You know, it's stupid. So you you have to. Again, uh, and, and Varg talks about this too, you have to go back to your mission, right? Does me yelling at this person who cut me off, flipped me off, is that going to help contribute to my mission to go home safe to my family at the end of the day? Nope. Well, then don't do it. It's yep. that simple. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how really having that, that pregame in place of, you know, that mission and, you know, kind of being able to address, um, ha- having that baseline and be able to address the, the other things that happen throughout the day, like I said, it could be something that seems almost somewhat benign, right? Mm-hmm. Getting a you know verbal altercation with somebody, like oh, it's just it's just words, but ultimately maybe not. And yeah. then is that is that gonna you know help you with your original mission, right? That mission creep thing, man, that just that really mm-hmm. stood out with me. And I, I mean, Jim, you know how confrontational I get. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, you know, you're sometimes just a up. fright to be around. Well, having a plan in place like that really makes the decision-making process a lot easier. I guess that's what I was trying to get at. If this happens, I will do this. If that happens, I will do that. And it's you don't have to think as much. Okay? Right, yeah. Hey, if my family's being threatened, I will take this course of action. Yeah. If it's this, I don't have to. You know. And sometimes in a high-stress situation like that, you just refer to your plan in place. And oh, I already decided. I made the decision a long time ago that I was going to use this amount of force or we were just going to avoid that. And is that something that you're just kind of thinking about? I mean, just sort of, you know, oh, man. Do you think about it as it's happening? Do you think about it as you sort of you get out of your car in, uh, in the ubiquitous in terms of our uh, examples, Walmart parking lot? Uh, you get out of your car and immediately you're thinking, you know, okay, if this happens, if this happens, if that happens. So you're always sort of being vigilant or is it something you think about when you're just sitting at home drinking coffee? Is there a way that you can train for some of these situations I, I would uh, I'd, I'd play the what if game you know when I was uh, when I was a full time police officer driving around on patrol you know boring day right what if some guy comes running out of that bank right there with a gun what am I going to do what's my response going to be what if a guy in the car in front of me at the red light pops out and starts shooting at me okay things like that so with your family what if I'm at Walmart and a guy walks in here and starts shooting you know what if I if I'm sitting at the restaurant eating uh, what if a guy comes in and robs a place okay. And you just start rehearsing in your head, thinking through, okay, well, you know, um, I, could, I could disengage this way. Um, you know, I could draw my pistol, my nearest cover is here, things like that. And you just start doing those mental rehearsals, planning in your head. And, um, you know, your brain doesn't, can't tell the difference between whether it's a real incident or it's a uh, mental rehearsal. So you start getting those pre-planned, uh, you know, ideas in your head. And uh, now you've gotten really a few kind of practice reps down. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and it can significantly help you uh, cut down that decision-making time if you've done that. So, mm-hmm. Do you think those mental rehearsals are just as important as practicing with the firearm itself? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you do that, you may never have to use the firearm. Yep. Even, yeah. even more so. I'll, I'll tell, especially when I'm training with, with law enforcement officers, but private citizens too, right? And, uh, and Pete and I are obviously very passionate about 
trying to make you a better shooter, a faster shooter, right? I can spend all day with you on the range and we can work on your draw, your reload. We can shave tenths of a second, you know, here, maybe even a full second off your draw, okay? Yeah. But at the end of the day, if I could just teach you to perceive and react to a threat earlier, we could save, you know, many seconds. You know, we might be able to get you to avoid the whole situation or right. counter the whole situation. And I've, mm-hmm. I used to tell people, like, in my career, there's probably four or five incidents that I would say were, you know, gunfights without firing a shot, right? Where myself or another officer were able to see a situation coming, predict what was going to happen, take action to, you know, gain a position of advantage and to be able to deter or thwart someone's attempts to do something before they were able to access a weapon, fire a shot, things like that. So that, yeah, that's just being vigilant. And I think yeah. I think a lot of times you see people going about their daily lives and you know, you see on the news all the time crazy people go out and did something, killed somebody, did whatever, you know. It's not even always a shooting. Sometimes, you know, there's people just get like stabbed, hit by cars, whatever. They like the world is a, the world's a nutty place and everybody always just assumes when they see that, holy crap, I can't believe that happened over there. And then, meanwhile, I was in the grocery store yesterday, and I saw a gal walking around the grocery store with noise-canceling headphones on. <laughs> on. Yeah. And she must have been, I'm sure she was probably listening to some lecture or like a podcast or music or whatever, and she's probably thinking to herself, Most oh, likely I, love, I love when I go to the grocery store, I can push my cart around and listen to my podcast. She's probably listening to the Vortex Nation podcast That's yeah. exactly. in her defense. Oh, but. Well, anyway, hey, uh, maybe now, um, I'm not insulting you, I'm just suggesting maybe you take them off in the grocery store. But I was thinking to myself there, um, what if a crazy person came up to you and she she had a purse on? Like, what if they just robbed your purse, you know, just took something, whatever it is. I mean, but the, the I, old, old advice used to be, oh, talk, when you're walking home at night, talk on your cell phone yeah. so people know where you are and stuff like that. Like, okay, now you're distracted. You're not going to hear someone coming and you're, hey, look at my $1,000 cell phone. It's a tempting target for people. Like, <laughs> no, I, I, know, attention. I know exactly what that lady's first thoughts would be. How how is this happening to me? Exactly, yeah. it's such denial, man. I I always remember I used to work at Brunzel Lumber. I used to work in a l- lumber yard, and we had a guy there who uh, drove a forklift. I remember one day he he had his foot outside the forklift and he pinned it, uh, and against the wall. Yeah, and he kind of he had he had the right boots on, but he tore his feet up pretty bad. And he kept saying, "I never saw it coming. I never saw this coming." Over and over and over. I'm like, "Of course you didn't, because you weren't paying attention." You know? Yeah. And and I think that's a that's a big th- like when you when you have a plan in place, so hey if if somebody pulls out a gun in a movie theater or somewhere, your your first reaction shouldn't be this can't be happening to me. There's this denial. People want to feel comfortable, and when they're faced with something like that, they don't even want to admit that it exists. That's yeah. that's why people don't do anything. I yeah. mean, you like car references. If you're driving well, down the road, right? You're driving down the highway, and the car in front of you all of a sudden slams on the brakes. What do you do? You just hit the brakes. You hit the brakes, or if you've been paying attention, you know, sit there in denial. How can this be happening? Oh my God, I can't believe he's hitting the brakes. What am I going to do? Like, no, you just react. And you react because, you know, if you're a good driver, you're paying attention to who's around you. You know, is there somebody in my blind spot? Nope, I already know that already because I've been checking my mirrors. I've been paying attention. I know I can swerve right. Mm -hmm. I know I can hit my brakes. Yeah. That's something people do all the time. I, I always laugh every time somebody, I think it's a good habit to do, but every time somebody like, does the big giant motion to check their blind spot when they turn on their turn signal? I'm like, you didn't know there was somebody already. Yeah, but it's same it's idea. good to always know when you're uh, when you're out in public. You were mentioning a couple of things too, like you know the criminals are always looking for the criminal doesn't want to go up against alpha top dog, you know whoever it is out there in society. Criminals are looking for the easy target. They're looking for the That's easy why target. They're criminals, if they wanted yeah. if they wanted to have jobs and and work hard, 
they would just do that. Generally mm-hmm. speaking, every now and then you'll run into the guy who's just a prick and he wants to he wants to pick on the biggest or guy. Or he just but, wants right. to yes, but, exactly. I mean, that's, that that's is correct. Pretty rare. I mean, uh, you know, if if you take steps not to challenge people and disrespect people. You're I found probably usu- fine on that guy. I found but. usually those kinds are almost the kind that you don't really have to worry about that much. They're usually kind of loud. Yeah. They're sort of all bark and no bite, you lot, know? Yeah, a lot of times. Many times. times. I'm not saying every time, but but many times. But, you know, you're even mentioning a couple. There's there's just some simple things that you can do at times, like just making eye contact with people. Yeah. Yep. You know? Yep. Yeah. And let people know that you see them. You know, don't be disrespectful. Like, and that's what I'm talking about. You don't want to stare somebody down because that yeah. could trigger that kind <laughs> yeah. of, you know, that Extended guy. Extended eye contact. Yeah, maybe, but, maybe put a scowl on yeah, your face, a little bit Jim. of a snarl. Always. Yeah. Just show some teeth. <laughs> but it's amazing. I mean, and, and I told you guys this, and the viewers can try it too. Like, you know, walk through Walmart and just try making just brief eye contact with everybody you walk by, and you'll see, a, you know, right away how many people just won't make any eye contact with you at all. They're just walking around with their, their heads down. Yeah. You know, or they'll they'll break eye contact right away to look look away because it's uncomfortable. So, I've been actually kind of experimenting with that after you guys brought that up, and and uh, it it is quite interesting. And I and we even talked about this a little bit before. Like sometimes I feel like it's more awkward to not make eye contact, but people still like want to pretend like you know the other person. Yeah. Isn't there? The only reason sometimes I don't do it around here is because we're in Wisconsin, so usually that strikes up a whole conversation. Because <laughs> <laughs> exactly. in Wisconsin, there's never kind of like a just oh hey I say, oh hey how's it going oh good and you oh I'm and then you then then you've like, stopped I'm, your I'm shopping late. carts and you're like oh I'm I'm good thanks and then now you're like friends sort of and you're like so what are you doing. <laughs> Yeah. Say like, no. I, uh, half hour later. Uh, <laughs> hey, did you hear about not, Aaron Rodgers? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so exactly. Those, those noise canceling headphones don't sound like such a bad idea. <laughs> that anymore. could be. Uh-huh. Maybe they're not even on. I don't agree with it, but I can kind of see why. She's <laughs> bored holes through them, and she's actually totally. She just wants no it's one to talk to her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I do want to jump back real quick to uh, you know talking about the situational awareness, the what if game, and kind of you know constantly developing you know these plans and, and practicing because I think at least. And maybe I'm asking as much as much as saying or as kind of observation, but to me those are all really good things to practice, whether you do or don't plan on carrying a firearm. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a yeah. That's a great point. You know, I, I mean, if you're not carrying a firearm, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be vigilant. Right. You know? And I've been doing that a little bit more lately because I I'm thinking about doing that, you know, on a consistent basis. So you go in the restaurant, like, okay, well, where do I want to sit? Is my back against this wall? You know, where's the egress? Where's the door? You know, potential threats. Where are those things going to come from? But whether you do or don't have a gun, that could be all important information to kind of have mentally cataloged. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I mean, number one, there's places where you can't legally carry a gun. You know, you may be out of state or something like that. And yeah, number two, you know, even if you don't, um, it's good advice. I, uh, another book plug I'll throw out there is a, a book called uh, The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker. And that's one that I would recommend to a lot of people um, uh, over over the course of my career, specifically when I encountered, you know, victims who were being stalked, victims of, you know, domestic uh, abuse or other type of crimes where this wasn't the type of person. I worked in a pretty liberal area. So not everybody I talked to would be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go buy a gun to protect myself. That just was, for whatever reason, it was out of the question for him. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, you can work on your awareness. You can work on trusting your instinct, on learning to predict danger and uh, and react to that you know, sooner. And those are all things that, you know, if I had to choose having a gun and having no awareness and, you know, no ability to predict danger or being really up on my environment, 
and uh, and having good plans and trusting my instincts and things like that and not having a gun, I'd take the latter. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously, if you can get both, I think you, you've got an advantage in the best of both worlds. But, yeah, that's so important whether you carry a gun or not. You know, and again, I go back to driving. I, I relate the two, carrying a gun and driving a lot, because you, you have to be tuned on. You know, things mm-hmm. that you can't predict happen. You have to be able to react to them uh, automatically, immediately. So if you do that when you're driving a car, or at least you should be, you know, why not do it Just carry it on to other parts of your life, too, when you're out in public? It's true. How about some of the reasons? So going into the the one that I always found most intriguing, because let's say you do find yourself in a situation which which is always possible, no matter how much you try to avoid things or whatever, is the fact that a having a firearm on you and having to utilize it, th- there are many ways that it can become a liability. You know, a lot of people say, all you got to do is just say that you felt your life was in danger and you're good. You mm-hmm. know, but there you could go to jail. And even though you're trying to be the good guy, you know, or you're trying to just whatever it is, you could end up going to jail or something. Yeah. What are all these ways that somehow yeah. I think... Like a, like having a gun on you could become a liability and things you need to consider. Well, I, I think you really need to you really need to understand the legal requirements of when you can and cannot use deadly force. And mm-hmm. there's an analogy, and I get it, and, and and I understand why people use the analogy. They say, well, it's like carrying a gun is like knowing how to use a fire extinguisher, right? It's there. I don't have to be a professional firefighter, but I can you know kind of control the situation until until the firefighters show up, until the professionals show up. I get it. Cool. Awesome. If you misuse a fire extinguisher, you're not going to go to prison for the rest of your life. Okay. If you misuse That's a firearm, fair. you make a bad call. Yeah, you can. And you're probably going to get sued one way or the other, even if you make a good call. There's a good possibility of that. So I get the analogy, but there's a little bit more to it than that. Um, I, I think the thing that most people who, uh, private citizens who are carrying a gun, um, are lacking in their training right now, or, or many of them are is really understanding the legal requirements. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, deadly force case law, use of force case law, when can I and cannot use a firearm, deadly force, to protect my life or someone else's life? And if I have to do that, how do I explain it? Because it, it, you can't, there's a misperception mis, uh, out there that I can just say, yep, I was afraid for my life, and oh, okay, you know, he had a reasonable fear. No, like, you have to be able to explain why you were in fear for your mm-hmm. life, why you know, what the circumstances were that caused you to feel that way. And then that's going to be judged based on what another reasonable person would have thought, too. So it's yeah. you have some hurdles to overcome. It's not so black and white, especially yeah. in some jurisdictions these days that are maybe not so pro-gun. Even just when you discussed the use of deadly force, the definition of deadly force is anything that could, and I actually don't want to screw it up, so don't consider me your legal guy for quotes, but... Is basically anything that could cause such a significant injury to you that it would uh, it would either kill you or create great bodily harm. Yep. I think was one yep. of the words. And I think even permanent disfigurement was in there as well. Right? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. uh, it's part of great bodily harm. Okay, at so least it, our state's definition of it. Yep. In theory, you know, somebody coming at you to slug you in the face, where you know you you start thinking about some of these things, and it's like, well, should I pull my gun on a guy who just comes up and? you know, punches me in the face, because I guess, you know, if I get punched in the face, depending on how hard you hit me, I don't know, maybe I broke my nose, but at the same time, it's like... Yeah. There's a lot of different things going on there. Yep. Reasonableness. Are you injured? Yeah. 
Is the person, you know, six foot eight? Is he a professional fighter? You know, different things. I mean, right. does he have a size disparity on you? Did he right. just knock some guy unconscious and now he's coming towards you? These are a lot of different things you need to factor in. Yeah. Gosh, there is, yeah. there's a ton. Yeah, the, the, the actual scenario that you're in can totally change it. Just you, you can know, change a punch in the face. And that's why all the firearm stuff has to be unconscious. Because now these are the decisions you need to be making. Oh, you said it now. Subconscious. Subconscious. Ah. Unconscious. <laughs> unconscious. Unconscious. We're trying to avoid going unconscious. We are. We are. Damn it, you started. That. I know, I know. But we can go on a tangent here. Uh, you guys need to ask about Adrian's Punisher tattoo. Oh, geez, no. You uh, have one? No, I don't have one. Oh, okay. we were, Small of his right. back. We were we were we were joking about that. It kind of goes back to the whole, uh, nope. you know, keeping things uh, keeping things covert and uh, yeah, not advertising. Oh. So we were we were joking about Punisher skulls and so stuff not, like that. In class not saying um, not so. having a little you know thing on the back plate of your Glock that says mow them all down. Exactly, that looks really great in court. When yeah, they say, this was the exactly. weapon used, and it clearly you can see that this person has a predisposition to mow them all down. Yep, exactly. Uh, you really got to be smart about this you stuff. Do. You do. You do. Well, and then, you know, going back to when you were even talking about some of those definitions and how you're going to maybe be, you know, judged, you know, the word reasonable comes into play. And I, I, that word stuck out to me, and I, I think we even talked about it a little bit, you know, during the classroom session. The word reasonable sounds like it's open to interpretation. Yeah. Like, uh, what was the thing you were talking about, how they did a study on how fast it would take somebody to close a distance to, to attack you. Oh, sure. Yep. Versus, versus how long it takes you to draw. Yep. And so let's say let's say somebody is you know I can't remember how far away it was but I know it was further than twenty feet. Yeah, we were talking. The original study uh, showed that a uh, you know a person could close a gap of twenty one feet in a second and a half, which based on their study was how long it would take someone to draw and fire around on target, mm-hmm. which is pretty quick. There's eh, one and a half second draw is yeah. moving pretty good, especially from concealment. Yeah. So and so you imagine yourself and you see somebody. Maybe they got a big giant butcher knife, and they're fifteen feet away from you, yep. and they're gonna they're charging you or whatever. So you probably at that point in time, I'd say if somebody's charging you with a giant butcher knife from fifteen feet away, very reasonable. I'm not gonna I'm not yeah. the legal guy, right? Yep. But but you would say okay, reasonably, whatever you make the decision. But next thing you know, you end up in court perhaps, and the attorney is over there going, now from 15 feet away, do you? would a reasonable person think that I could kill them from 15 feet away, you know? Yep. And then you have to go into that explanation. You have to be able to articulate. Yeah. You know, how do you know that? And you have to know that before you pull the trigger, right? <sighs> you have to be able to explain all that stuff. That's the, that's the crazy thing. And that's where a lot of the mental prep- preparation you guys are talking about comes into play because when your mission is to get home safe to your family and have your family be safe... You want to not end up in jail, but you also want to keep them safe. And so if you're thinking, now some situations may be blatantly obvious, you don't even have to think for more than a half a second, but something that's kind of on that gray zone, if you're, thinking, if you're thinking too long, it could be too late. Yeah. And then you've actually not accomplished your mission. You know, it's like, well, I didn't go to jail, but I didn't accomplish my mission. Or I felt I accomplished my mission, but I'm in jail. And if you're not thinking, if you're not quick, to understand well, these things, or you don't, you don't know for certain, you know, without having to second guess yourself on, you could end up. Yeah. In a, what uh, was it? Was it Patton who said a, a, a good plan, violently executed, and I'm going to butcher this immediately, is better than a perfect plan. You know, basically that we do down the road. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I forgot mm-hmm. the exact quote, but sounds the, like a Patton thing to say. Yeah. Decis- <laughs> decisiveness, right? You right. know, make the decision, have the information, you know, all your training. 
hopefully you've thought this stuff through, make a decision, act on it, act decisively. Yeah. The one thing that really stood out to me, or one thing that stood out to me with that scenario of a person being, you know, 20 to 30 feet away and how rapidly they can close that distance and you have to process that information, make your decision and act, I guess in my, in my mind, and I, and luckily I really haven't been in a scenario like that, but I think oftentimes you don't have a 20 or 30 foot runway to make that decision. No. Then what? Well, see, I need more information out of the scenario. Because at least in my experience, like, it's very rare. You're just walking around, and there's a guy 21 feet coming at you with a butcher knife. Like, right. Things like that don't happen. Right. Yeah. But I'm, like, there are things that guy could probably tell you before he decides to run at you with a butcher knife. That pre-attack posture, you know, hey, what's this guy doing? You know, uh, behavior that can actually give you a, a, a step up on something like that. You know, mm-hmm. that's where you start seeing yeah. things develop before they actually happen. A step up or yeah. the ability to step out. Yeah, right. even, exactly. Even sometimes verbals could be right. a reasonableness to have to engage. You know, and, and Adrian said it before, but instinct. I mean, we're, we've all been, you know, evolved to know this stuff. Like, we, we'll see things, and society wants us to be polite nowadays, you know, and sometimes we'll see something happening, but oh, it might be rude to not get in an elevator with somebody or, you know, but we have to really listen to that instinct. Cause I think a lot of times we'll see something like that guy's not right, you know, and, and, and you can't really articulate it and mm-hmm. maybe it's okay to just walk away. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? Cause it's, it's almost never going to happen where some guy just jumps up out of nowhere and starts stabbing people without giving you a warning. And you just have to be smart enough. You have to be aware enough to pick up on it. Yeah, no, that's a that's a fair point. You get that gut gut feeling, and that's another another thing that's discussed in that book, uh, "Gift of Fear." You know, that's thousands of years of human evolution, and I think we talked in the class. You know, deer's walking through the woods, and it smells something or hears something. It doesn't sit there thinking, "Oh, it's probably nothing." You know, "Oh, it's probably just the wind." You know, yeah. whatever. Like it takes off. So yeah, you know, it, it doesn't mean you can draw down on someone because yeah. you're like, "Oh, that guy gives me the heebie-jeebies," but. Start making that plan in yeah. your mind. Maybe distance, the deer, the deer doesn't exactly. discriminate whether it's some uh, granola crunch and hippie crunching through the woods on leaves or a, a guy in full exactly. camo, right. you know, yep. or, or a gal in full yeah. camo or so whatever. So that's, that's the biggest thing, and that's what I'd always tell people, you know, uh, even the people who weren't carrying guns. So like, trust your gut. It's there for a reason, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. There were, and I should have brought my notes in from the class, actually, but in the end, you kind of boiled it down to there's almost four things that you need to sort of be able to digest in a situation that's unfolding in front of you. And there was, there was I know there was the, the deadly force thing, you know, but there was also understanding the people around the situation, and then there was understanding the person that was sort of the... Uh, suspect, if you will. What were those things again? I can't... Uh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head which slide you were referring to, but basically... It was right towards the end. Yeah, I mean, basically kind of uh, summarizing it all up. Like, you have to understand, you know, what deadly force is. You have to understand what is your justification for using deadly force, okay, which is uh, behavior which, you know, has caused or threatens to cause imminent uh, death or great bodily harm to an innocent person or yourself. You have to have target requirements, okay? I have That's to, what it, the target yeah, requirements I, I, was the phrase. I have, to, I have to locate my target, all right? I have to identify my target, and I have to isolate my target to make sure that I'm shooting the right person if I need to, that I'm not shooting a family member who crept in the house late at night because they're trying to sneak in under curfew, which unfortunately you hear sometimes happens. <laughs> yeah, my goodness. Um, and then I got to make sure, going back to marksmanship and all that stuff, right, is my target enough is isolated enough where I'm confident I can put rounds on the target that counts, um, the one that I want to hit. And then also uh, in, in many states, uh, Wisconsin being one of them, 
I also have to have something that we call preclusion, just meaning, do I have any other options? Uh, are any of other options I may face, are they reasonable or, uh, or unreasonable, I should say, or have I exhausted all of my other options? Where mm -hmm. basically deadly force was my only choice, yeah. the only reasonable thing I could do. And, and honestly, even in, even in states with standard ground laws and stuff like that, I think that's a pretty good thing to go off of. If you have an opportunity... Yeah, you're not... Just because you have standard ground law yeah. state, it doesn't mean that you're just... You're ready to just blast away, yeah. you know? Yeah, Believe me, it's... it's oh, my life's in danger. Bam! Yeah, you it, can't. It's not worth it. I mean, just, uh, just the, the hassle... I mean, and not only the ethical, I think, you know, aspect of it, uh, not having to shoot someone you didn't need to, but oh. um, but there's a huge, I mean, <laughs> it's a huge financial and, uh, you know, extremely invasive burden on you and your family just yeah. being involved in something like what that. What was it's, the average on the financial, I remember you saying, to get one of those, uh, like an attorney for something? It's well, like if we're talking about like a homicide charge, you're talking fifty to to $100,000, you know, pretty easily. So yeah. depending on the circumstance and stuff like that. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, not like you said. I mean, yeah, you got the monetary, but just like just the impact on on you and your family, your career. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine, I mean, I've known police officers who've been in shootings, and then imagine your kids going to school, and then the other kids like, oh, you know, uh, your dad is uh, your dad's a murderer. You know, murderers go to prison. I've heard, you know, I've had friends whose kids yeah. have told them, that, you know, that, well, and you were saying in school, you know, you were saying too, like the police officers, they, they get involved in something like that. They have the support group of the whole police force yeah, behind right. them when something's going on like this. If you're just George Jane Doe, yeah, you, you don't have yeah. a lot all of cops have a union, net. union appointed attorney. Yep. You've got people who are calling up and, you know, making dinners for your family and watching your kids and stuff like that. As you go through that as a private citizen, Man, unless you have a really strong support group with your church or things like that, or you know, you mm -hmm. probably don't have that same type. I of... I mean, heck, uh, you might backing. have the opposite. Let's say you work in some place where everybody's you know super yeah. anti-gun or whatever. You might have the yeah. opposite, where people are now just no, screw you. Yep. You know, absolutely. I got okay. So I have a I have a question. I know we asked you in the class, and I think that this is one that a lot of people either wonder or maybe have incorrect information on or something. But I've heard and. And I'm going to try and say it as like not morbidly or dark as possible, but I do think it's just an important thing to bring up. I've heard that some people say if you're in a situation where you have to use your gun, if you're going to pull your gun, use it until the threat is completely neutralized to the point where it's permanently probably yeah, neutralized. Yeah. So, and. Heard that one floating so around. So it, yep. it makes you it makes you a little bit afraid of like, well, let's say you know, if I pull my gun, do I have no option now? Like it's sure. it's all it's all or nothing, you know. Like at this point, you know, oh, if if you don't shoot them, they can just sue you for assault, you yeah. know. So two things on that. So so the way I've heard it before, and this is kind of the it's still floating around out there, surprisingly. But you know, this is the typical like gun store counter advice, right? Oh, if you pull <laughs> your gun, you better shoot them till they're dead, so they don't come back and uh, and sue you. Well, there's, there's a lot of way to, ways to interpretate that statement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so number one, you can use deadly force to stop a threat, right? It's not to kill mm -hmm. somebody, okay? Oftentimes, that's kind of the side effect of it because getting someone to stop quickly, we put rounds where it tends to incapacitate and kill them. But that's not your intention. Once the threat is stopped, legally speaking, you have to stop shooting. What that advice, which I've heard, I've overheard people saying that before, what that advice is telling you is saying, you know, we're concerned. We don't want you to get sued, so, so you don't go get sued. Now you need to go commit murder. So, like, 
doesn't make any sense. Obviously, there's a huge no. ethical problem with it. But yeah, terrible advice, okay? Well, not yeah. only that, but it's not only that person that can file a lawsuit. Exactly. Right, yes. yeah. yeah. Oh, believe There's me. There's a lot of ways you can still get sued everybody by a dead person. Will, everybody will come out of the woodwork to, get, to sue you from the, um, you know, the, quote, victim's uh, family. You know, all of a sudden you'll see the articles on the news. Oh, he was turning his life around. He was going back to school. He was a good good father for his kids and I don't know maybe all that stuff is right is correct but that's how they're going to be portrayed and everybody even if they haven't talked to him for yeah. five years and you're just going to be the bloodthirsty whatever exactly. you know just you're looking yep. for an opportunity to mow someone down whatever yeah. yeah so nope so the other aspect of that is um you know years ago there was a study done by the CDC which was never really published um probably because it didn't get the results that the people who were running the study were looking for, but it showed, and, and I'd have to look it up, um, but it showed basically like over a million defensive gun uses in the United States every year. Somewhere, it, it ranged from like 500,000 to like 3 million. Yeah. I don't remember what it was, but obviously not all those people are getting shot. So simply displaying a gun, that might be your last line in the sand. That might be your last attempt at deterrence before you have to pull the trigger. And I would mm-hmm. much rather do that than have to shoot somebody and go through everything that comes along. I'll with the counter shooting. that. You have to be prepared because Absolutely. there, there yeah. are a lot of people who are not impressed by your handgun. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people grown up and have been, you know, had guns pointed at them all in life. Oh, and yeah. Their life. And, and you have to be prepared to take it to the next step because there's going to be people you might draw a handgun on. They're not really impressed. I've, yeah. You can't, you can't expect that to be the master key, so to speak. Right. Like, oh, check this. Out. Like, Check and mate. Yeah, you know, like, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like think, in Euchre when you throw are out often the left surprised. and right. Like, wow, he didn't run away. He didn't stop what he was doing. Yep. I mean, I, yeah, I had that happen many but times in my are career. People Guys who are very used to having a gun at them, guns yeah. pointed at them. Yep. Yeah, they, they were more afraid of the dog than the gun. You know, the police canine, because you're not going to tell the you're not going to tell the dog you don't have the balls to bite me. <laughs> but you can look someone in the eye and say, <laughs> "Dog doesn't speak English." That person, you're not going to shoot me. You know, no, well, maybe I'll just start open carrying a dog Jim. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah yeah well, i was gonna say something never mind <laughs> we'll take this offline well yeah yeah we'll, we'll talk about this uh afterwards but i know after we after we chatted i really felt like taking a class of some sort was so important and now you know i want to take more classes and, and learn as much as i possibly can because the other thing is, too, when you do these classes, I mean, yes, we mentioned it's really easy to go out on the range. It's really easy to do some of these drills that we're talking about, get better with a pistol. You're doing all those same things, too, when you go to these classes, but then you can learn so much more as well about the mental side of things, which if your brain's not working, it doesn't matter how accurate you are with a pistol. It's just... Well, I remember Mark mentioned something at the very beginning. He talked about the instructor going up and uh, either Peter or I adjusting a grip and things mm-hmm. like that. Those are kind of things... You probably, you can get a lot out of just going to the range and practicing yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but something like that, those little things that someone else might perceive from a third person, you're probably not going to pick up on. Yeah. And that's why mm-hmm. I think it's important to go out and get actually firearms training from time to time. We still go to classes. Yeah. We were and shooting it, with another instructor on Friday, right? So, well, look at this. Our instructors are going to classes. Exactly. It's oh, a fraud. Fucking <laughs> fraud. Yeah. Uh, you're trying to tell me there's still more to learn? <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's always stuff to learn. Um, there's always stuff to learn. And then the other aspect of that, you know, especially when it comes to, like, the deadly force um, and the mindset and stuff like that, there's a lot you can read out there. 
you know, and mm-hmm. internet, you always got to, you know, take some stuff with a grain of salt. But there's <laughs> a lot of good books, you know, talking about deadly force and, and things like that. And I mentioned a few of them already. Yeah. So I know we would be remiss if we didn't bring up one last thing, gear. Mm. <laughs> Who doesn't love gear, right? Because I purposely say this until last. Who doesn't love gear because everybody wants to try and find the thing that they can buy to just bypass all of the the time and learning yeah. and then just buy it. But anyway, but I I I am curious your guys' thoughts on just sort of like holster, pistol, and ammo setup. You know, I mean, if you were to uh, if you were to recommend something or you had a couple of big standout points, like hey, this is something big to try and find or to avoid. Oh, and a that flashlight right there. <laughs> That right there, before we even start talking about guns, that right there uh, is probably the thing that's over, often overlooked the most. I use Flashlight. That, I use that every day. Yep. I use that every day. Do you? And Yep. Just for normal tasks. Oh, and okay. Not for shining bad guys in no, the face. No, but okay. I mean, it, it's, it's, I, I use it more than I use my knife. Which is, Adrian's got what? one, too. Right. Oh, yeah. yep. I use it more oh, yeah. than I use my knife. Yep. yep. Guarantee, especially I, okay, in the winter. I believe I'd actually believe that. You know, it's it's so practical, and honestly, in a, in a situation, I can have this out way earlier than I can ever have a handgun out. You know, you get, you know, you're, well, yeah, maybe you're, not you're gonna... at the same Walmart parking lot. It's ten o'clock at night. And it's kind of alone. Somebody just comes walking up on you, and you can just, you know, do one of these. Hey, who is that? And and right away, I have information. Mm-hmm. You know, I have information. Yeah. And, oh, hey, it's it's Jimmy. Oh, okay. Hey, how's it going, yeah. man? Sorry about shining a light in your face. And and I've done all that without ever pulling a gun out. Yeah. Well, and then you talk about, I mean, that's almost like extreme eye contact. You've made that person very aware that you are right. aware yeah. of yeah. their yeah. presence. Yeah, yeah, I've done nothing illegal. show them the spotlight on <laughs> Yeah. Yep. I mean, it, it is such an advantage to have a handheld flashlight. You interrupt and their, nobody thinks about it. Interrupt their plan. Interrupt their dark, you know, light, dark sure. area. Interrupt eyes. their visual uh, ability. I am, to see. Eyes are yep. the groin of the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How many podcasts have I said that? I think that's like two in a row. That's two in a row. <laughs> you're, you're, on a, you're on a streak. Yes. Yeah. I like it. That's yeah okay. I like that. I, that, like that. I would start with that before I even I'm, start yeah. talking about right. guns. Well, and I'll get talk. Get yourself a flashlight, Mark. Get get. Mm-hmm. A, well, now I need to carry a flashlight, a knife, and a multi-tool, and a pistol, and apparently I need a dog. Um, <laughs> okay, that's five things. Yeah. that's the five things you need to get through the day. Um, <laughs> you're talking about gear, and and, and also, I mean, this kind of goes into, and I definitely want you guys to talk about gear, but kind of gear, and I guess your pistol is part of that gear, right? But like one thing that I wouldn't have known until we started doing some of those other drills. Like I unloaded and loaded my pistol, you know, done a mag change, but never in the fashion of like, kind of like, I guess, how do I put this? Like in process, like fire, you know, trying to do a fluid mag change and uh, like just manipulating the, um, the, the, uh, my pistol. Like I had a hard time getting to my mag release, you know, in you got the gen three Glock with a really buried mag release button. Right. Which, I've done it before, but I'm always like, not all the time in the world. Tip the gun, press down hard this way, but not while trying to essentially kind of maintain some of that form to re-engage, you know, a, a, a target. So that that was one thing. I also showed um, Pete uh, the two holsters that I've, I guess, accrued over time, and he basically told me to throw them both away, <laughs> which is totally fine. Great advice. So I enjoyed again, it because it was like a 20-year-old holster that you still had in the plastic, in the, the plastic <laughs> packaging. It seriously, it looked like something he'd been saving, like one of those people with an action figure that it's never been opened. <laughs> it's still in the box. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the great things about a training class is it just shows you deficiencies in your own skill, which is great. You can't get better unless you 
you never realize there isn't a problem and deficiencies in gear, you know, and for you, it's maybe you need to do something different with that mag, mag release. You know, mm-hmm. you can have mm-hmm. an extended mag, you know, maybe you can get a little work done to um, kind of get rid of a little bit of material on here. So That's you can, what I did on mine. you know, mm-hmm. but that, yeah, these are things that it's amazing what a shot timer will do. Just that little beep, that little yep. amount of stress. And now, oh, I'm trying to race the clock, you know, and, and those are things you kind of have to consider. Boy, as, as holsters go, you're going to have to spend a little bit of money. You can't – most holsters in most gun stores are probably not good. I don't like any anything that kind of collapses in on itself. It has to keep its shape. So when you go to reholster, it's it's not going to get snagged on anything. And does um, that go for uh, like a concealed and an outside? Yeah. Both? Mm-hmm. Yeah, both. Any yep. kind of holster that – you know, I'm, I'm a fan of, of leather holsters, but they, they'll typically have some kind of support in there so they don't collapse in on themselves. Any kind of clips or paddles that, that can come out super easy, they're nice because you can take them on and off. They may not have the, the retention that you need. I'm, I'm just I'm kind of a fan of um, like a hard Kydex holster. Uh, I typically carry appendix carry. Uh, I don't really recommend that for everybody. You know, maybe starting off, maybe that's not the thing for you. But um, I've, I've found it's, it has a lot of benefits. You know, if I need to take the gun off quickly, I can, I can do that and stow it. It's... It's right here. I always have control of it. Um, typically, I can draw a little easier, and it's a lot always, easier to conceal. You're not always necessarily. I know one thing you brought up, Adrian, in the classes. You're not always necessarily checking it by like by like feeling right. If you got one yeah. in, the, in your back, kind of like the back third, or mm-hmm. just on your hip. Yeah. I find you know I found a lot of times when I've been wearing it, whether at a class or whatever. You're always kind of like playing around with your shirt, like, oh, wait, am I good? Am I you know, like check sure. it? And you yep. know that anybody who's a cop or like a, a criminal or whatever is probably can see that they might notice yeah 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 it's uh i I, i've gone to an appendix carry too Uh, yeah i mean i agree with pete you know same thing you you have to have a holster that uh you can yeah reholster and draw one-handed it's got to be secure to retain the gun when you want it retained but it's you can access the gun when you need to access it yeah you can run with it right because yeah we may not always be getting into a gunfight we might just be hauling ass out of there Mm -hmm. um so Something that's comfortable, and that goes with a gun, too. You definitely need to make sure you have a gun that you're going to carry with you, not that's so uncomfortable you're going to leave at home. The flip side of that is I don't think you want to carry a gun that's so small you can't shoot it well. Yes, So right. you have to find a good balance, and that gun might vary for different people. Obviously, Pete and I are a little bigger. We can probably carry a little bit larger gun than some other people. Yeah, bigger night, gun uh, to carry, easier it is to shoot, but it might be harder to conceal. It might be a little bit less comfortable. Yeah. A Glock 19 to you guys is like a Glock 26 to me. Yeah. 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 I mean, honestly, Glock 19, I think, is really a perfect size for most people. I think it's it's still it's small enough to kind of conceal with a little bit of work, but it's it's still in that range where you can shoot it kind of fast and accurately. That's like your uh, similarly sized would be Smith & Wesson's M&P9. You yeah. got your CZPO9. Yep. Mm-hmm. You got your... No, it's a to, really nice. Trying to be uh, all inclusive here. Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a. I mean, there's a bunch. Yeah. There's a ton, kind yeah. of that subcompact where. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, and the thing you know, with again specifically the 19, like that's a. Uh, I, I know plenty of police officers who carry that as their primary duty gun. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's a little bit smaller than like a 17 or a 34, so mm-hmm. conceals a little bit. You know, um, easier. Talking about guns, I just I think people need to kind of stick with modern 
polymer handguns. Ooh, you that's, know? that's a 1911 dig right there. No, it's not. I didn't say there. anything oh, like man. that. But you I might geez, as well Pete, have. Geez, I, I could have been talking about it any number of times. Is anybody else uncomfortable? I'm uncomfortable. Hey, you You called me out of my tattoo, so I'm going to call you out on your hatred for 1911s. I don't hate 1911s. I think most people are better served. You were young, Adrian. You know, the number one thing I look for in a firearm is is does it function all the time? And it surprises me sometimes. I think people are willing to accept um, malfunction like every magazine. They just learn to accept that, and that would drive me nuts. Like I, I shoot a plastic gun because I don't want to worry about stuff like that. You know, if it, any of my guns ever malfunction, I'm like, huh, what was that about? Like it's, and you can you can find. Cool. You can find an extremely reliable, really nice pistol for under seven hundred dollars easily. Like yeah. if you're spending more than that, you know that's fine. I mean, it's a free country; you can do whatever you want. I I tend to push guys, newer shooters, towards modern polymer handguns. Yeah. Going back to the uh, carry style too, it's been yeah, I I've been curious now about appendix. You mentioned how it's not necessarily for everybody. It freaks the heck out of me because you got a gun pointed at some places you don't want a gun to go off at. The one nice thing, I didn't realize you described that when you, for example, we're going to talk about a Glock again, but I know a lot of the other polymer frame pistols are the same way. I always thought when you cocked it and you had one in the chamber that the firing pin was like back and ready to go. You know what I mean? And, you know, oh, something slips and boom. But actually, the trigger motion is what brings the firing pin back. Striker. Or the striker, I'm yep. sorry, not the firing pin. Yep. Yeah, yep. somebody. Same yeah. idea. Yeah. Thank you. Somebody was about to have an aneurysm, I'm sure, yeah. while driving your car. <laughs> we were about to create a, a massive pileup because somebody's a striker. Um, but it's actually not in its loaded position, ready to go off, which makes me feel a little bit better. Then you know, so I don't feel like whatever. I might, I might trip and fall, and bang, there yeah. goes my I mean, femoral there's artery. so many, there's so many safeties built into modern polymer. You know, striker fired pistols like that. But every now and then, you hear about you know something that you know maybe has some problems, has recall, yeah. things like that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, personally, I mean, that's a little peace of mind for me. You know, I like I like something that's more of a if we were to compare it, more of a double action mm-hmm. than a gun that is like in a single action configuration. Yeah. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, and and part of the reason too that I had been on and off at times with my carrying, I know, is because I was doing like the hip kind. And then you wind up with, I was in the chiropractor every week because my mm-hmm. back was all jacked because, you know, it's like walking, it's like sitting on your wallet on one side for a long time, you know, that just got yeah. super annoying. Most of my back problems went away when I went to appendix. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. That. It's interesting though. That, I mean, that kind of brings up a good point. It took me uh, quite a while to get over to appendix carry because I wasn't comfortable with the gun pointed at some vital areas. Mm-hmm. But it was actually in a class. I mean, we were, uh, we were shooting in uh, a class, uh, Mike Pannone's. Um, covert carry class, which is an awesome class, um, you know, and uh, I just like he kind of talked about some things, you know, specifically talking about you can see the gun, you can look it into the holster, you can make sure that your, you know, your uh, uh, shirt isn't getting snagged and this and that. And I was like, you know what, Mike's a pretty smart guy. I'm going to give it a shot. And I mean, for me, it was me going to a class, even though I was instructor for years before that. It was me going out to another class getting exposed to something, seeing a different point of view of it. And I was like, you know what? I think I can try that. And I haven't looked back. You know, so. granted, when when you're carrying, like, back here, um, yeah, the barrel wouldn't be pointed at your genitalia. But, I mean, now <laughs> when you're reholstering, can you see where that's going? Can you see if there's anything in your holster? Can you see if something fell in there? You can't. And right here, it's it's all right there. Yeah. 
It know? seems like the amount of control you have and the being able to observe and I don't know, it seems like it does outweigh some of that other like almost like unknowns. Like yeah. you said, like it's you know, can be difficult to reholster or see something that you know, and, know, and when I made the decision to go to it, I mean I sat down and I wrote a list. Okay. Yeah. Con. Point it at your junk, you know, <laughs> pros. I can I can draw the gun from either side, you know, with either hand. You know, it's yeah. more comfortable in vehicles. It's it's you know, in theory, faster to draw. There's I sat there and I'm like, wow, that's pretty convincing list. So like I said, it may not be for, for someone starting out, but Well, I think I mean really there's really not any extra considerations that you need to make to I mean, you need to be performing all the same, I guess, you know, safety protocol. You're just able to see it and access yeah. it better. I mean you know, it's, theoretically it's, nothing it's not acceptable cranking off around when you're holstering back behind your waistband either. No. I would so, say probably not. I mean, yeah. But I don't know. It's it's interesting. I mean, that kind of bring Pete's point brings up another point, which is have a reason for everything you do. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people kind of haphazardly get into something and they're like, well, I'm going to do this because I heard about it in the internet. Well, did you really think it out? Is, you know, have a reason for everything you do, whether that's how you're reloading your pistol, holster you're carrying, like, at least be able to articulate something. Mm-hmm. You want to watch me go nuts, you know? Why are you doing that? Oh, that's the way we always do it. <laughs> like that, yeah. I flip tables over it. No, I just, I hate that line of thinking. Yeah. You know, that's the way we've always done it, or this is the way I was trained 20 years ago. Yeah. It's another thing. It's yeah. like, oh, you've never put any thought into it. You just do what you you're just, told. Yeah. And you need to constantly assess things. I've got a box full of old holsters that I tried. Some I carried for a while, some right away. I was like, well, this thing sucks. That's just the so, way things I mean, go. Just, I think sometimes yeah. people are afraid to have that happen because they're like, oh, I don't want to spend all the money on going through all this stuff. But just that's kind of how it works, you know? If you're into something, I'm into rollerblading. I've got like huh. six sets of rollerblades <laughs> no because it's just like tried those ones out. They didn't work, but I liked it enough that I got another set then. And mm-hmm. it's like now I found the ones that I like, you know? And it's just that's how it works. I ask you guys one more thing, too, before we, uh, before we cap this one off. Ammo selection. Mm. I think one of the biggest things that, I guess I always kind of knew it, so I'm not going to say like this is a revelation to me, but I think one of the important things is probably not using ball ammo. Yeah. In um, terms of when you're carrying. Understanding some states, um, if you can even carry there, they may have, there are some states that have prohibitions on carrying hollow points. So, Seriously? Yeah. Oh, so you would have to carry ball ammo. Yeah, which makes zero sense, but... Uh, oh, because they like the bullets the to continue exactly. going. Exactly, you know, pass through people. Oh and, yeah, it's That's why just, we don't live dumb. in those states. It's, it's, uh, it's I think, doesn't that kind of violate the uh, like isolating is, your target? Yeah, it, yeah. Does, it doesn't make sense, but there's a, there's a lot of laws what out there What we would like is as sense. much danger as possible in our heavily regulated state. Yeah, it's passed by politicians who don't know what they're talking about, you know. About it. But anyways, yeah, so ammo, I mean... Carry a good quality defensive ammo, some type of expanding bullet, you know, for that reason, because, you know, you want it to expand, stay in a body, not pass through, not, uh, you know, endanger other people. Man, I mean, there's... Practice with it. Yeah, I mean, so you want to make sure, especially if you're shooting like a red dot or even iron sights, you want to make sure that your carry ammo shoots the same as your practice ammo, yeah. right? Okay. That's what get, I was going to ask. If yeah. that, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, you sh- I shoot a lot of, not a lot, but enough rifle, you know, do a lot of hunting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you shoot the, you know, the 165s versus the 180s out of your rifle, you different. know, they're going to yeah. hit different. Or, heck, you could be even just a, a different, uh, 
ammunition, you know, loaded with a different bullet of the same grain weight. It's yep. going to yeah. hit different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Make sure that it feeds in your gun. Uh, I don't see this as often, but, you know, with some older pistols, like Pete was talking about, some may not, you know, feed yeah. well with certain types of ammunition. So yeah. uh, be careful on the internet with this one. And I'm not going to go into specific brands. Modern, okay. Some people are still, um, you know, some still people, uh, people are still carrying ammo that like a gun writer recommended 20 years ago. Um, I'll throw it out there, right? Winchester made black talons back in the 90s, right? And they were, oh, those are the best performers. That's 30-year-old ammo. Those haven't been produced for 20 years, 15 years. Don't carry stuff like that. That's stupid. Find a good modern ammo. Um, some advice might be look at what your local police department carries. Take it with a grain of salt because they do some dumb things too sometimes. So they may be not necessarily carrying the best ammo. I'm just being I'll, honest. I'll, I'm just being honest. Yeah, that's I'll, just, fair. That's fair. <laughs> I'll just say it nine nine millimeter. Yeah. I I I think we're kind of getting to the point where I, I don't even consider any other calibers. Um I think most police departments have found like that they go to nine millimeter. Most modern all handgun ammo kinda is not good compared to rifle ammo. And the differences between like a nine and a forty and a forty-five are so minute now with modern uh, loads. Gotcha. Uh, it just it doesn't it makes more sense to go with a nine millimeter. It's much easier to shoot. Uh, you can carry more ammo. It's just it list goes on and on. I I really yeah. don't see the point in carrying any other caliber. Yeah, with modern ammo now, I mean, 15, 20 years ago, I would have said, yeah, you know, there's a difference. But nowadays, nine millimeter ammo is so good. I've seen autopsy reports where the medical examiner, he can't tell the difference between a 9, a 40, and a 45 interesting. until he pulls out the bullet and actually measures and weighs it. Yeah, interesting. The wound channels hmm. are the same. Good stuff. I like it. The other thing I was going to mention is, and we won't go into this now, but if you're interested in the red dots on pistols thing, you should go back. I just looked it up. Episode 72, we talked all about red dots on pistols, so you can always go back and listen to that. But Apparently, I didn't listen to that podcast good enough, Jim, because I went into this one just rocking the old... Irons on the G19. I'm right there with you. I, you guys got to yeah. get we on the train. We got to get on the train because every time I get behind one, I'm just like, Boy, I'm, you, you I, guys do work for an optics company. Right. Well, can we? Can I we? know. I I know. <laughs> I, that's the thing is that we do, and I just have to just put it on. But I just I every time. There's a bit of a learning curve. Yeah, there so. is a bit of a learning curve, and I'm always just like, well, I've been shooting with irons. I just you know, which sounds so wrong to say. Because that's the way you've been doing it, that, And that's also <laughs> when somebody... Well, when somebody talks nice. to me here, and they're like, what do you think about going to a red dot from Irons? I'm like, oh, it's great. It's super... You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll say this. That's you, the sales guy inside of me. Sorry. You'll, you'll put it on the gun right away. You may not see a difference. You'll shoot it for about a year. You get kind of used to it. And then you go back to shooting Irons, and you'll never want to shoot Irons again. Yeah. Like, that's when you really... When you try to go back and yeah. you realize the advantages, it's on. like when I used when I initially missed the home button on my iPhone. Now, I hate that. Like we have a couple around the house. The kids use them basically as like mini iPads. Oh, I don't know. I don't even know how to turn the, the stupid thing on. Button. I'm like, what the? Eh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, I, that also I know you have some issues with technology. Technology so. is not my friend uh -huh. all the time. Can right. we just? God, I know we keep. Oh, this is going. We're so at long. we're at one, we're at one and a half hours, Mark. Real quick though. Yeah. When we're talking about aiming, Jim, and you brought it up, irons okay. versus a dot, and being able to focus on. And I think we talked about this in the other podcast. So maybe just go listen to that if you want the full the full thing. But like. You know, we're focusing front sight, front sight with these irons. What does the dot allow you to do when, you know, there's a potential threat? Just look at the target the Tar whole time. Target focus. Yep. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, there's a, it's a natural tendency when something is threatening you that you want to look at it. And to be able to use your iron sights, like you can do it, you know, this notion that, oh, you'll never see your iron sights in, in, a, in a counter. That's a bunch of bull. We can train you to do that. Okay. It takes a lot of training to do that. The dot, you don't have to worry about it. You look at your target, you put the dot on it. Um, you know, chances of a mistaken mistake of fact shooting go down. Uh, you know, hit percentages go up. Like there's studies out there showing it. It it works. It just makes it, aiming a, a lot easier. Real thing. Yeah. And you know, I'm kind of at that age now where things up close are starting to get a little blurry. And for me, it was I got into red dots right around the right time. You know, it just yeah. It's people keep saying it's the future. The the future is now, and I think it's going to get to the point where in like four or five years, it's going to be weird looking at a firearm that just has iron sights on it. Wow. Yeah. Look at that. Big stuff. Well, on that bombshell from Pete there, <laughs> uh, we, will, uh, we will leave this one. There's so much we can talk about pistols. We can probably talk more in different episodes, so if you have ideas, please let us know. We'd love to hear them because we'd love to do more episodes. That's what we like doing around here. But next up, we have to chat about a different kind of firearm that uh, one may need to utilize, who knows, in some sort of situation, and also just learning how to utilize them better, which is the carbine. So Super excited. Stay tuned for that. Thanks for following along this pod venture. we got tons more to come. Catch you on the next one. Bye. Bye. All right, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show, maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like, so that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be. You can also follow us on Instagram, at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'll be posting about each episode released, so that way you can go back, find these things, maybe grab a little nugget of information that you can take with you to the range, out in the field, or uh, maybe to the kitchen if we're talking about some good food. So, again, everybody, thanks, and happy hunting and shooting. We appreciate it. Have a good one.